Catching you up with the latest news from around the Sunshine State that you should know, heading into this Friday morning, March 31st. I'm Elliot Trito, and this is The Point from WUFT News. Climate change is making island living even riskier. Scientists say far more severe hurricanes to increase erosion and the eventuality that some islands will wash away. For the six-month anniversary of Hurricane Ian's strike on southwest Florida, environmental journalism students in the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications reported on the state's barrier islands. I spoke with Living on the Edge contributing writer Abigail Haysbrook about the growing risks of living on barrier islands. We took on a project to look more in depth at the effect not only that Hurricane Ian left, but also hurricanes in general, specifically for barrier islands, which Florida has hundreds, if not thousands of them. And we looked at the history of barrier islands. We looked at how indigenous tribes adapted to them and how people are adapting to them now, especially with the threat of climate change looming. My story specifically looked at how people who lived on barrier islands before the hurricane hit and how they feel now if they're going to continue doing so and if they are why they're choosing to remain in a place that has become so dangerous as more severe hurricanes are continuing to threaten florida how long did it take to complete the story i believe the process took about three months from start to finish with coming up with an idea reporting going through edits and trying to get multimedia as well. I spoke to a good amount of people for the project just to get a sense of what it was like not only to live through the storm, that being Hurricaneian, but also how those same people and their family members and friends feel about the future. Because it's not like hurricanes are going away and people are more frightened than ever as the threat of climate change makes hurricanes more severe. So it took about three months of reporting and writing and editing. How come people are still living there? So it's sort of a mixed bag because one of the people I spoke with does want to move. But for some of the people, it's not a matter of stubbornness. It's more a matter of moving was never something they considered and they don't exactly have the money or the resources to move away from Fort Myers or Sanibel, which is some of the places that the hurricane hit the worst. And for other people, they feel that this is their home and they don't want to leave behind the culture that they've been raised in, especially for a place like Sanibel, which I've come to learn through my reporting is this time capsule. It has a lot of elements that have been there since the city's inception and Some people were born and raised there and their grandparents were born and raised there. Their great-grandparents were born and raised there. So to leave that is really, really difficult. And it's not something that everyone can understand. But I think that's also why the storm was so impactful because it really destroyed a lot of elements of those cities that were so characteristic to them. Not just homes, but landmarks. Like in Sanibel, there's this Times Square, they call it. It's a variety of factors. It's not just this, oh, I'm just going to stay because I want to and there's nothing that can change my mind, not even a hurricane. It's It's not always that. It's more nuanced than that. Can you give us some context on where and what the barrier islands are? Florida is obviously a peninsula, so it has more barrier islands than any other state 
just because of the way that it shaped geographically. However, the to expand upon the idea of barrier islands is that people are living there way more than they ever used to. As I mentioned earlier, indigenous tribes have lived on barrier islands before, like the Calusa, like some of the prior stories in the series talked about. But we're seeing a rise, even though scientists have said since the 1900s that living on barrier islands is not safe. And not just for hurricanes, but for sea level rise and factors that are becoming even more exacerbated because of climate change and its effects. So barrier islands have always been a part of Florida and the way that they've changed has always been a part of Florida. That's nothing new. What is new is this desire to continue building infrastructure and homes there. In Sanibel's case, even though it is very mixed income, there are multi-million dollar homes on Sanibel Island that when future storms potentially come could be totally destroyed, as we saw with Ian. Can you tell me about how Kimberly Sanders played a major role in your story? Yeah, of course. I got connected with Kimberly because of her daughter, actually, Natalie. Natalie talked about her own experience with the storm, and she said that her mother lived directly through it. And so I began speaking with Kimberly. Kim and I spoke several times, and each conversation was more insightful than the last. She told me lots about her childhood, about what it was like to grow up in Fort Myers. She spoke about her grandmother, who also lived and owned a surf shop in Fort Myers. She talked about her sister and her brother. And I got a real sense of what it was like to grow up there. I'm not from that area, but after speaking with Kim, I felt like I knew so much more about what it was like to grow up on this coastal area. She now lives about 30 miles inland from Sanibel, but she grew up in that area um, and has lived there for her whole entire life. Pretty clear to me when I spoke with her that she needed to be the central character because her life represents that area and signifies the loss that he Hurricane Ian spurred because of the generational aspects that she spoke about through her own life. Interestingly enough, too, Sanders is also a descendant of the Blount family, who was a family that settled in the region during the 19th century or the 1800s. So her family history spans back hundreds of years, which further adds to the element of Sanibel being this, or not just Sanibel, but that entire area and Barrier Islands in general being these time capsules. What do you want people to take away from this story? One thing I want people to take away is a consideration of what they want their future in Florida to look like, whether that's them graduating college and moving to a new city or settling down and starting a family. Where you live is so important, especially in Florida, and it's going to have impacts, not just for yourself and your family, but for everyone around you. Now, with that said, I also think that it's important to bring up climate change and its importance as well. Sanders, Kim Sanders talked about how some of the people that she helps, she's a retired paramedic and she worked with cleanup efforts after Ian, and she said a lot of the people that she would help were resistant to the idea of climate change and believed it to be 
not a real threat. But we know that that's not true. And we know that climate change, global warming, if you will, does impact sea level rise. And it does make hurricanes more severe. And those kinds of things need to be factored in, especially as Florida's population is projected to grow to more than 27 million by 2045. So that means there may be more buildings, more apartments, more homes, more hotels built right on the coast. It also poses a threat not only to the people living there, but it poses a threat to the wildlife, to the landscape, to the environment. And the reality is that hurricanes and natural disasters and climate change stop for no one. They will hurt anyone. There's no one group that is immune to them, whether people want to believe that or not. And we need to be careful. We need to look out not only for ourselves, but for other people. And so I hope this story gives a sense of how serious these challenges and impending threats are. I also hope it gives a sense of hope. Everyone I spoke to had an immeasurable amount of hope that they're carrying on with them. Sanders spends every day, every single day, cleaning up the area that she grew up in. And I hope that people are inspired by not only that, but inspired to make a change in their own areas as well. What's the biggest lesson you learned while reporting the story? I will never settle down on the coast for one thing. <laughs> uh, I think if I do stay in Florida for a long time or if I ever settle down in Florida, it will be more inland. But beyond that, I was so inspired by everyone's optimism and willingness to share their experiences. These are very vulnerable stories that they're sharing with me about their families, about their own experiences. And it made me think about my own family. I'm from Tampa and originally Hurricane Ian was projected to hit that area. And I was very terrified for my family. They put up hurricane shutters on their house. I've got a big family back home and I was worried about them. Fortunately, the storm didn't hit Tampa very badly, but who knows, one day there might be a storm that hits Tampa badly. And what if they're not prepared in the same way that Fort Myers and Sanibel and those Southwest Florida areas were not? I want people, not just myself, but to be more prepared for those instances. And I'm so thankful that my family was spared, but there were many families who were not. And so I think we need to reflect on that, not just myself, but I, I hope everyone can reflect on that as they think about their own families and where they're positioned and be thankful that they're alive and safe and well in the same way that everyone I spoke to felt that way. That was Living on the Edge contributing writer Abigail Haysbrook about how the growing risks of living on barrier islands exist. Now let's catch you up on today's stories from around the state. This weekend, a requirement passed by Congress early on in the coronavirus pandemic to keep people continuously enrolled on Medicaid expires. WUSF reports for the first time in three years, states like Florida can start removing participants who don't qualify or who don't reapply properly. Florida is one step closer to allowing death sentences by an 8-4 to four vote of a jury, instead of the current requirement that the vote must be unanimous. According to Florida politics, the bill and much of the debate surrounding it centered on the sentencing of the gunman who killed 17 people, including 14 students, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland in 2018. 
Whether your ancestors were black or white makes no difference in your susceptibility to COVID-19, according to a new University of Florida study comparing two types of ancestral origins of patients from a Florida population infected with COVID-19. According to Main Street Daily News, however, UF researchers also found that some patients whose genetic makeup give them more protection against the virus have a better chance of fending off infection. Subscribe to The Point Newsletter, which drops the latest Florida stories into your inbox every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Visit WFT.org to subscribe and read the most recent issues. I'm Elliot Trito, and you've been listening to The Point from WUFT News out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Friday, and enjoy your weekend.